something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? I thought it was pretty funny recently when we were coming up with our list of underrated toys from childhood and both of us put Silly Putty on the list. That's right. And it was such an awesome list. I don't even know if you could call it a toy, but not only did it come in a plastic egg for some reason, which is really the world's best carrying case, if you ask me, <laughs> but yeah, you could stretch it, it bounced. And the weirdest and maybe best thing of all was that if you pressed it against the newspaper, it actually picked up the text and images right off the page. Did you ever do this? Yeah, with like the funny pages. And to me, that just like elevated it from just another like piece of slime or a bouncy ball to a spy gadget. Like <laughs> you could almost imagine Carmen Sandiego carrying one of these in her uh, pocket. Well, today kids just don't get that joy because Silly Putty no longer picks up newsprint. Now, apparently it isn't because the Silly Putty formula has changed. It's because newspapers have started using a different kind of ink. Now, I don't know if this is just so Silly Putty can't pick it up. I think maybe it's because they don't want readers' hands to pick up the print. But maybe. it made me wonder, like, how have classic toys changed over the years? And that's what today's Nine Things is all about. So let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hot Ticketer. And sitting behind the soundproof glass, DJing music on his old Teddy Ruxman doll. That doll looks pretty worn <laughs> out at this point. That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. So Teddy Ruxman is such an old reference. You know, I, I actually have this memory from when I was a kid in the summertime, and I want to say I was like 9 or 10 at the time, and I remember staying up to watch Johnny Carson. And he did this joke I just thought was hilarious. Uh, he was like on stage doing his monologue and he goes, Hasbro's just come out with a Millie Vanilli talking doll, but it had to be pulled off the shelves because it was using Teddy Ruxpin's voice. And uh, <laughs> as a kid, for some reason, that joke was so funny to me. Like it's a throwaway joke, but I always recycle it. 
I mean, I have to admit, it's not a bad joke, though. It is funnier to me. Think about how old these references are, like Johnny Carson, Millie Vanilli, Teddy <laughs> Ruxpin. And I will say the timing on this is really weird because, as you know, this past weekend I went camping with our family and it was raining one day. Mm -hmm. And I started singing Blame It on the Rain and the kids didn't know the reference. And so I actually pulled up a Millie Vanilli song. I love the fact that we were in the middle of nowhere <laughs> listening to Millie Vanilli on Spotify. But anyway, we were, we were listening to this and it, it hit me like it's not as though that I thought this had been a great song or a great group like whoever was doing the actual singing. Uh -huh. But it is so much worse than I remembered it. Like, it is that <laughs> bad. So I'm encouraging anyone to pull up Millie Vanilli and just appreciate how, makes, how terrible it is. It makes sense that Teddy Ruxpin sang it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it did make sense that Teddy Ruxpin sang it. But anyway, none of those references mean anything to kids anymore at this point. <laughs> well, I, I do hope some of the toys on this list are still things people play with. You know, you talked about Silly Putty at the top of the show, but... I thought it was fascinating that the reason we have this ridiculous invention in the first place is because during World War II, we had to ration rubber because of the limited access to rubber plants. And it was this unexpectedly delightful thing that came out of the search for synthetic rubber. And this was during wartime desperation. Oh, that is pretty interesting. I, I feel like maybe you're stalling, though, Mango. What, what, do, you, do you have a fact? Did you prepare <laughs> for this episode? I did bring some facts. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Etch-A-Sketch first. And, and this is actually an invention that comes from France. It was originally called uh, Le Cran Magique. I, I don't speak French, obviously. And then when it debuted at toy fairs, it had a slightly different design because instead of those two white knobs, it actually had a joystick on it which is huh. how none of us remember it, of course. But yeah. uh, the other weird thing about the Etch-A-Sketch is that toy companies were very lukewarm on the idea. Like, almost all of them passed on it. In fact, all of them did. And then finally, Ohio Art decided to take a second look at it. And they picked it up in 1960. They decided to make it more sleek. They uh, changed the control to those two infuriating uh, white knobs now. And, and they started <laughs> advertising it on TV. And it flew off shelves. Over 100 million Etch-A-Sketch have actually sold ever since. You know, I was never very good at them, and I'm still not any good at them, but I do like looking at those galleries of portraits and, you know, the other artwork that an Etch-A-Sketch can do. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool that you can preserve those things by, like, uh, drilling through the back, and, and you take out the powder, and it makes those drawings permanent. But uh, for me, like, the ability to shake the pictures and restart is the best thing about it. Like, I, I can't imagine saving any artwork I've ever created on an Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, going in a very different direction and, and something that I have no memory of, but it was interesting to read about. Did you know that the precursor of My Little Pony was called My Pretty Pony? No. So well, what's the difference? Well, color and size for starters. So My Pretty Pony was brown and about 10 inches tall. And according to an article in Gizmodo, it was part of Hasbro's Romper Room line. And it also wiggled its ears and its tail and it winked at you, apparently. It's very, very different, but... <laughs> You know, the big attraction was the mane and the tail, and they were both extra long. And you can imagine kids really enjoying this because they could just brush it for days and days. But it really was just like a toy horse. So it debuted in 1981, and then the following year they decided to shrink it down. They took out some of the movable features, added all those colors that we associate with them, and make them a, a little bit more like the ponies that we know today. So uh, every time I hear My Little Pony now, I, I think about how people thought Bill Clinton was a brony because he answered like <laughs> three questions straight on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me about uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. I had forgotten all about that. <laughs> 
well, obviously how you play with My Little Pony is different than the kids who had the original. And, you know, then it was more of like a horse toy and less of this magical horse toy. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing I'd forgotten is that My Little Pony cartoon that came out in the mid-1980s. It was actually called My Little Pony and Friends because half the animated show was really used to market these ponies to kids. And then the other half was reserved to sell toys for for other things. Like, I was just looking back on this, like glow worms, which I remember. Oh, yeah. And, Potato Head Kids. I don't remember this cartoon, but Gizmodo recapped it as, quote, a bunch of potato children being marginally watched over by Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) What a lazy dad. So I vaguely remember Glowworms, but I have no memory of that Potato Head's cartoon. But speaking of Mr. Potato Head, uh, there's an old fact which always blows me away, and we've mentioned on the program before, but it's that the original Potato Heads were just parts that you stuck into any produce you had around the house. Like, it was funny eyes, felt mustaches, hats, and whatever, and the packaging actually read, any fruit or vegetable makes a funny face man. So as io9 puts it, it was BYOP or bring your own potato. And uh, (laughs) apparently the sales killed. It was one of, if not the first toy to advertise on TV. And in 1952, they did over $4 million in sales. I mean, that's actually about $37 million in today's money. But the thing is, like, I'd always wondered, like, when did they stop this and, and shift over to putting these plastic bodies into the boxes? And This is according to io9 again, but apparently in 1968, some of the toys got really elaborate and also really sharp, and that's because they put out a a Mr. Potato Head on the Moon set. I guess this was uh, capitalizing on the space race, but it came with super sharp plastic parts that fixed into a cucumber to make it stand up as a rocket. So you had (laughs) potato parts, cucumber parts, and uh, it's pretty cool to look at, but by the 1970s, all those sharp parts were uh, just deemed too unsafe for kids. You know, I've definitely seen a few photos of those boxes, but I'm curious if you can still get them on eBay. So so after we finish the episode, let's look that up definitely. And, and see. All right, well, here's another classic toy that's changed over the years, and that's the Magic 8-Ball. Now, one of the questions I've always had about the Magic 8-Ball was, like, why is it an 8-Ball? And it feels like a weird choice for a kid's toy, mm-hmm. but it turns out there's a marketing reason behind it. So the toy itself has this long, weird story, and apparently was invented by a kid whose mom was a fortune teller, I think. And so she used to have some sort of rig that she called the Psycho Slate, and she would ask a client some questions, and then the answers would be magically produced on a magic chalkboard. And I don't quite understand the setup of this, but it influenced her son, his name was Albert Carter, to come up with a product where you kept the fortune telling, but you took the human consultant out of the picture. And so the toy provided the answers directly. So it was 1944, and he invented what was called the Psycho Seer, which was this long tube with liquid in it, and then a couple of dice that floated up with different phrases on it. And basically the concept of the Magic 8-Ball was there. And anyway, this, this toy went through these various iterations. They turned from a tube into a crystal ball. But then it was Brunswick billiard tables. They, they were looking for this promotional gimmick back in 1950, And Carter's partner redesigned the Crystal 8-Ball into an 8-Ball, and that idea just kind of stuck from there. That's crazy. You know, it's funny to think of uh, fortune-telling being the family business for for, uh, Albert Carter or whatever. But but it's also funny that this is just like a marketing tool. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it was just supposed to be this paperweight for adults, really nothing more than that, and something to kind of sit on their desk. But when it caught on with kids, it was remarketed as a toy and, and obviously really took off from there. That's fascinating. I I'd actually read something about like the psychology of eight balls and how uh, they weight the answers with positive ones. I, I think they're like uh, 
10 positive answers and then like five negative and five indifferent ones. So like you keep playing for those answers. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense if you think about having that perfect mix that keeps us wanting to flip it over and over, kind of getting those those different answers and knowing we might get positive ones more often than we get negative ones. So, all right, what do you have next, Mango? So I, I'm going to talk a little bit about Lincoln Logs and how they were originally built to withstand earthquakes. So I, I'd heard the story that Lincoln Logs were created by Frank Lloyd Wright's son, John. And I thought it was cute that there was this architectural connection between them, but it's actually deeper than that. So according to History.com, the first Lincoln Logs weren't toys at all, but architectural models. And they kind of come out of the father-son design for Tokyo's Imperial Hotel. Apparently, John used to work for his father. In fact, at age 24, he was his chief assistant. And when they were in Japan, they were trying to come up with a system that would help a building withstand tremors and also earthquakes. So they built a model of interlocking logs that could bend with the shakes and... You know, the father and son had a falling out, and while Frank concentrated on building the hotel, which actually managed to survive major earthquakes, John Wright took that model, tweaked it, and made a toy that doesn't fall when your kid brother or kid sister thumps around right next to it. That's pretty cool. I had never heard that story before. All right, well, very different toy. Here's a uh, quick story about Transformers, which have outlasted GoBots and Voltron. You remember those two? Mm -hmm. I remember all of these very well. But the funny thing is that Transformers weren't actually the original. You know, GoBots had come to the market before them, and there was also a line of these mass toys that transformed, and there were like dozens of other transforming toys. And at the time, regulations had changed, and so TV was flooded with cartoons basically working as these advertisements for toys, you know, like He-Man, or we were talking about before with My Little Pony mm -hmm. cartoons. So Transformers got in on this, too. But the thing that really set them apart was, you know, first of all, their price. They were actually pricier than other toys of the same genre. So newspapers referred to Transformers as, as almost like being this status symbol that you'd have on playgrounds or in the <laughs> sandboxes. You know, the cool kids had these. But more importantly, they took a lot of care in the packaging. So every box came with this backstory for the character, elaborately written by a Marvel comics writer. So the kids really got invested in these stories from the start. And they also had those stickers that warmed with your hand to tell if they were good guys or not. Oh, you know, yeah. An Autobot or what were the others called? The Decepticons. Decepticons. That's right. But and, and this is how the toys have changed. The Transformers also came with these cards that had power levels secretly written on them. And you, know, you could only tell a Transformer's strengths and weaknesses by putting a red plastic. It was like a 3D glasses type lens over it. And, and then you could read the numbers. And so... You know, just like kids obsess over Pokemon stats for characters, those 3D readers gave Transformers kind of that nerdy, fun quality that kids could obsess over. You know, in addition to just transforming into things and crashing them into one another, <laughs> we almost forget what they actually did. But anyway, I know we've got two more facts for you, but before that, let's take a quick break. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. 
It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking nine classic toys and how they've changed over the years. All right, Mango, you got one last fact of the day. What is it? So I think I want to talk about Erno Rubik, who invented the Rubik's Cube. So you and I have both heard a lot of this story before, that Rubik was Hungarian in a communist country, and he designed this cube partially because he was just curious if there was a way to create a cube with moving parts. He figured that you'd need a round core inside, and, and he only did this after contemplating the pebbles under his feet while he was on this long walk. But kind of like with Lincoln Logs, this was originally supposed to be a model. Like in this case, it was something to teach geometry and spatial relations. But once he put stickers on the thing and then twisted it, it became something totally different. So Menelfloss found this unpublished memoir of his, and in it he writes... Quote, only after a few turns, the colors became mixed. It was tremendously satisfying to watch this color parade. And of course, when he tried to reset the colors, he couldn't. Like, it took Rubik a full month and a half to put the cube back in order. But (laughs) here's the funniest part. Like, when he finally did, he went home to brag to his mom about it. And her reaction was that she was just thrilled he was no longer wasting his time working so hard on this ridiculous puzzle. (laughs) I'm curious, though, like, how did Rubik's Cube become such a phenomenon? Basically, when he took his colored version into his class and saw the kids going crazy for it, that's when Rubik knew he had something more than a math model on his hands. Uh, It's pretty fun. All right, so I thought I'd end this on Cabbage Patch dolls, and I guess what's surprising to me isn't that the toys have really changed that much, but more that they started out as this mix of craft and art. So according to Collectors Weekly, when Xavier Roberts started making the dolls in 1977, it was based on a German fabric sculpture technique. The idea of adopting dolls, they were they were called little people at the time, that was there from the start. And so he charged $40 for these sculptures and then hand you a certificate with them. It's hard for me to think of these dolls as sculptures, but 
After one of his pieces called Dexter won first place at an art show in Florida, he realized there was something there. So he and a few friends formed this collective, and then they renovated an old medical center in Georgia and turned it into an art and performance space where the little people were born from cabbages and delivered by licensed nurses. I mean, it, it's all a little bit strange, <laughs> but you know, people could watch as they occasionally did C-sections or cabbage sections, I guess. And of course, you could buy the sculptures there. Anyway, the hospital was featured on this documentary, and a national press picked it up, and People just went bananas for these things. So Coleco licensed the dolls, made them smaller, lowered the prices some, and the fad just took off. That's crazy. You know, I, I always think about uh, the snack time Cabbage Patch dolls that had to be returned because they kept chomping on kids' hair instead of just the plastic snacks you had for them. Like, those things <laughs> give me nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we've got to pick a winner, and there were a ton of great facts today, but I really like that Lincoln Logs fact and the idea that you built this little log cabin. It might just withstand an earthquake. So, Mango, I'm going to give you today's trophy. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with a full-length episode tomorrow. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.